This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. It is good to be with all of you. Hey, can we put our hands together for the worship team? We got someone in a sling up here worshiping. It's, it's pretty cool. They did a great job. Uh, before I get into it today, I want to make a quick announcement. It's kind of sad. Ashley, our, our children's minister, will be leaving, transitioning at the end of the month of June. So I think the last Sunday in June is June 26th, and, and we'll bring her up here before she does that on that week, on that day. But, you know, a lot of you know her mom's been sick. Her mom and family has had some health issues, and she feels called, and we think it's the right choice to be closer to her family. So please be praying for her in this transition. Be praying for the church. Be praying for her family as she continues to try to serve the kingdom of God elsewhere. And also just pray that her mom and her dad uh, heal and get healthy. So I'm going to start praying, and then we'll get into it today. God, we are so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for just this opportunity to gather and meet and worship, Father, and uh, as, as, you know, your word says there's a season for everything, and sometimes there are seasons of transition, sometimes there are seasons of sadness, sometimes there are seasons of joy, Father, and I pray that we just remember to stay focused on you no matter what season in life we're going through today, and as we have a conversation today, God, speak through me, and just allow my words to be your words. It's your name we pray, amen. So we are in the final week of this series that we've called The Supreme Life, looking at an ancient letter written by a man named Paul, and the letter was called Colossians. If you've been with us, we've been looking at it for five weeks. We didn't hit every verse, we didn't hit every topic, but we have tried to make it as clear as possible what Paul was trying to say in the letter. And every once in a while, we like to do this. We like to do a book series where we're just hunkered down in a book for several weeks and I hope you learned a lot. We had Don speak and Adam spoke during this series. And Paul ha- has so much to say in just five, in about four chapters of a, a book. And though it seems short, there's a lot in there. And so it's this letter written by Paul to a church uh, in Colossae, a, a group of Christians who are fairly new to the faith. And, and they're struggling a little bit. They're like, I don't always know what to, to believe. We don't know, you know, we believe in Jesus, but is there something else needed? So they're struggling with this. And Paul writes them this letter to remind them and encourage them, hey, listen, Jesus is supreme overall. And the letter really talks about Jesus' greatness and then what we're to do after we understand Jesus' greatness. So he, he kind of, we summarize it like this on week one, if you were here, it says, Jesus is supreme over all and living life faithful to him or obedient to him brings us into the supreme life. That our best life is lived understanding who Jesus is and then allowing that to change the way we live. So we, we kind of said the supreme life is understanding Jesus is all we need in this life. And Paul spent time saying, listen, if you have nothing else, at the end of the day, if you have your faith in Jesus, that is all you need. And he wants us to live with that confidence. So the goal of this series was really to understand that Jesus is all you need in this life and to live with that confidence, to, to leave here understanding, hey, no matter what happens, as long as I have Jesus and Jesus is supreme over all, I can live in this supreme life. And then Paul was actually trying to do something through this letter you may have caught or may have not caught, but he, he's trying to preach to three different types of changes, and I'm going to show them on the screen. There's a head change. Paul wanted us to understand, he wanted the Colossian, 
Colossians to understand that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus is our Savior. And he wanted us to understand that. He wanted us to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what God has done through Jesus. And then he wanted that head change. It's the same thing we want for you. We, we want that head change, that knowledge to change our heart. We, want, we wanted this, that message to sink down in our heart. Paul wanted us to understand that Jesus is our Savior, that Jesus, Jesus is more than enough. You don't have to add anything else to Jesus. Jesus has done all you need, and Jesus is all you ever need. And then we want that head change and that heart change to lead to life change. So we've talked about these two, the head change and the heart change. Last week, Adam started with a life change. And today, as we go to Colossians 4, we're going to look at uh, four verses Colossians 4, 2 through 6, we're going to look at this part. Allow the information, allow your heart to change the way you live. So that's where we're going to go today. But before we get there, I want to ask a question. How many of you are Disney families? Like grow, grow, growing up, you went to Disney. Anybody like, there's some Disney families out there. So if you go on like YouTube or Instagram, you can find families who are obsessed with this. And, and going to Disney and so going to Disney World or watching Disney shows or watching the old school Disney princesses. And so in my life, um, our families have been talking about that a lot more lately. I have four nephews under four, and then I have my daughter as well. So now we have my, my, grand, my parents have five grandkids under four, and so they're talking about going to Disney. And so we've been looking at that, and I figured out the, to do a Disney vacation, I'm going to have to take out a second mortgage on my home. But we've been talking about going to Disney a lot. And if you've ever been to Disney, Disney does a great job. And, and they really do, especially if you're a kid. They make it seem magical, right? They got the princesses, and they got the princes, and they got the rides. Now they got the Toy Story Land and, and Star Wars. And it's like this major, major operation. Do you know Disney has over 62 thousand employees in Florida, which makes it the number one employer for one location in the United States, 62,000 people. And Disney actually is about 40 square miles, and they say that's roughly the size of San Francisco, right? So you can place Rising Sun in the middle of Disney World and it would get lost, right? It's huge. But something that Disney has that no one really knows about, but I read about a couple years ago, is this tunnel system. Anybody ever heard of the Disney tunnel system? Is that there's this tunnel system underneath the Magic Kingdom. And so Disney was built on top of Swampland. So the, these tunnels were built on top of the Swampland. And then the rest of the foundation is built on top of this. But underneath the Magic Kingdom is this complex tunnel system. What this tunnel system does is it allows the workers to get from one place to another. And actually, this is why if you're on one side of the park, you will never see the same character twice. They have over, like, I think it's over 120 different Mickey Mouse costumes down there, but you will never see Mickey Mouse at the same location twice. And so what they do is they go under these, underneath the, you know, the ground, into these tunnels, and then allows them to move across the park. And a lot of that magical feeling happens because of these tunnels. So why I like this imagery is because there's something going on underneath that you can't see that's leading to a product that you do see on the surface that makes Disney magical. In the same way, Paul's been saying, like, hey, listen, there needs to be something going on in your soul, in your heart, in your life that is changing that makes what you see on the outside possible. And, and so as we end this series, that's what we're going to look at. And really, here's kind of the, the title of the day. It's real simple. Live life on mission. 
Paul's going to tell us a couple ways to live, and, and it's going to seem one point is going to be really long, one's going to be short, and, and one's going to be a little longer. But it's going to look at, here's what he's going to say. Listen, I'm leaving this, I'm I'm closing this letter. I want to leave you with these words. And this is what he writes. So Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. He says this, devote yourselves to prayer. So that's the first thing. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That falls in one category. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And he continues. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always, always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Live life on mission. Make sure something's going on underneath here. So you can live a certain way out in the world. So the first thing that he tells us to do as we're going to live life on mission, you need to be sold out to prayer. That's why I got this shirt on in there, right? Be sold out to praying. He uses the word devote. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. And that word devote, if you look in the Greek in this context, it actually, it means to be strong. So what he's saying is literally be strong in prayer. That you should, prayer should, should be such a, a, a muscle in your life that it is strong. That when you look at your faith, when you look at what the disciplines you have, prayer should be one of the strongest disciplines that you have. He's telling us, make, make prayer a regular rhythm of your life. Be devoted to it. Have a strong prayer life. So then, then we got to stop and we got to ask ourselves, okay, If he says be devoted to prayer, we have to look at our lives, and that's what we do when we read these words. We're supposed to look at them and say, okay, God, what are you trying to tell me, and what can can I do as I'm reading these words? What can I see about my life? So I think we have to ask this question. What are you devoted to? If someone was to get a notebook, and they'll go old school, get a notebook and get a pen, and they were to follow you around for a week, all right? Everywhere you went besides the bathroom, they went, and they followed you. And they took notes on your life, where you went, where you ate, how you talked, how you acted. What would, what would they say you're devoted to? Oh, man, hey, I followed him every single day, Monday through Friday. And every day, they stopped at Dunkin' or Starbucks for coffee. They're devoted to getting some coffee. I followed them around, and I saw that they're really devoted to work. Man, they spend a lot of time answering emails, answering phone calls. Working er- going in early, working late. Man, I followed him or her around. And I see that they're, they're devoted to their kids. Man, they spend a lot of time, money, and energy on sports, on music, on vacation. I followed them around and I saw, woo-wee, they sat there wa- binge-watching Netflix seven nights in a row. Right? What would they say you're devoted to? And the reason that question is, is so important is, we will always give time to what we find most important. You always give time to what you find most important. So in my season, in my, in my season of life, I'm in, I'm in a time of transition, right? I'm a, I'm a father of a, a seven-month-old, and so how I used to spend time, I don't quite get to do that anymore, right? I spend much less time riding my motorcycle. I've gotten out one time this year. Spend less time watching sports. Spend less time binge-watching Netflix. 
And, and I trade that in to be devoted to spending time with Natalie, paying attention. So I watch way too much, um, what's that, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse show, right? I can do the, I know the theme song or Coco Melon or spend time crawling on the floor. I traded those in because I wanted to be devoted to being a good father. So as you watch, if you, as you watch your life, you will always give time to what you find most important. So what we got to do is we got to follow where you invest your time and sometimes money. Follow where you invest your time and invest your money and you will find where your devotion lies. And Paul is saying, listen, as people look at your life, as you look at your life, you should see that you are devoted to prayer. Not just before meals, not just, bef- not just in church, not just before you go to bed. It should be a regular rhythm of your life. It should be something that you're doing as you are living life. And notice he says the word devote. He doesn't say if you want to, if you can. He's like, no, 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 listen, no. Devote. It's a command. And what he's saying is intentionally invest your time in doing it. Intentionally invest your time in praying. Mark Batterson, a minister in Washington, D.C., says, I believe that most people's problems or insecurities or, or everyday issues could greatly be solved or greatly diminished by intentionally investing time in praying. Devote yourself in prayer. So then I started thinking about this. Okay, what we have to do to devote ourselves in prayer and what that looks like. So I came up with another word, and the word is persistent. And so then I started thinking, well, what does persistent mean? Or, or perseverance, if you will. Persistent. And then I started thinking about growing up in, in, you know, Illinois and hearing about this guy named Michael Jordan all the time. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. And then I thought about a quote that I heard my basketball coaches use all the time. He goes, listen, I've, Michael Jordan used to say, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I don't know if you all know this. He did miss shots, Okay. And guess what? He also missed game-winning shots. He said, I, I've, I've, I, you know, I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. I think of that. That's, that's persistent. He was persistent. He kept pursuing the goal. Dr. Seuss. Everybody, anybody ever heard of him? Those are the, about the only books I can read. Dr. Seuss, right? Dr. Seuss. His first book was, I think it was declined 28 times by the time of his death that book I can't remember what it's called was published over 600 million times J.K. Rowling the, the author of Harry Potter it took her years and years to write the first book of Harry Potter she gets done her life work is done she takes it to the eight major publishing companies all of them deny her eventually one takes a chance on her and now you got the Harry Potter mega kingdom thing, right? It's everywhere. Persistence. You have to be persistent. And when it, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, there's going to be times in our faith where we have to be persistent, where we're going to have to persevere a little bit. Because fa- things aren't always going to go easy. You're going to have rough seasons and prayers aren't always going to be answered. And when it comes to prayer, you're going to have to be persistent because sometimes you're going to have to pray when you don't feel like it. You're going to have to pray when you're not getting the answers you want. You're going to have to be persistent. You're going to have to continually devote yourself to be strong in prayer. So let's talk about that. What what is prayer? Because I know maybe some of you aren't Christians. Maybe some of you are Christians who don't pray a lot. Maybe maybe some of you are Christians who understand prayer. So what is prayer? 
So I tried, to, I tried to come up with a simple, simple definition, and this is what I came up with. It's a meeting with your Heavenly Father. It can be a conversation, but it's a meeting with your Heavenly Father. And how I drew that conclusion is that, that when Jesus was teaching us how to pray on the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, I'm going to teach you to pray, he says, start praying like this. And the next slide says what? Our, our Father, our Father, that we have a Father, a Heavenly Father who loves us, who cares for us, who says we matter to Him, who is all-knowing, who is caring, who has the whole world in His hands, and He wants a relationship with you. And He's a Father, and He wants to hear about what's going on in your life. So prayer is a heavenly, it's a, a, a meeting with your Heavenly Father. Tell Him about what's going on in your day. Tell them about what, what struggles you have. Tell them what you're thankful for. Tell them what you, you don't understand about this world. Tell them where you fall short. Have a conversation with your father. Paul is saying, as you live life on mission, one of the defining things in your life that you should look at and people should see is that you are continually having meetings in your calendar, in your schedule with your father who loves you. Devote yourself to it. So what Paul is saying is like, devote yourself to prayer. When he says that, he's saying, devote yourself or keep talking to the, your Father who cares for you. That's pretty easy. That's, that's easy, easier said than done. One of the top five questions I get on a weekly or by a monthly, you know, monthly schedule that I get from people is, how do I pray? Right? I get that all the time. And or I get people coming to me, I'm having a hard time praying. And so it's, it's easy to say, well, prayer is just meeting with your Heavenly Father. But, but at times, if we're real and if we're authentic with each other, sometimes prayer for some of us is difficult. It's hard to do. We're, we're not strong in it. It's like, have you, have you ever been out of shape? And then all of a sudden you say one day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back in shape. And to get back in shape, that, the longer you're out of shape, the harder it is to get back in shape. So you go to the gym, you start lifting, you know, do some bicep curls, some bench press. And, and you know, the next day you wake up, you're sore all over the place. It hurts. But the longer you do it, the less sore you get at times. Or the more you run, the, you know, the farther you can run. Or the less tiring you get after running a mile. Prayer's like that at times. You, you got you to gotta devote yourself to it. At, at first, it can be difficult. It can be hard. It can be awkward. It can be clunky. But as you do it, you get better and better at it. And just because it's difficult doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Or just because uh, you don't understand it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. So maybe you're here like, I, I really don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to do. I, I, it's a meeting, but I don't know what to say in this meeting or how I do this meeting. If, if that's you, you're not alone. Jesus had these disciples, and Jesus was talking about prayer, and they're like, hey, Jesus, how do we pray? This is actually what the conversation looked like in Luke 11. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to them, Lord, teach us how to pray. Right? As John taught his disciples, they're like, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so today, if you're here and your prayer life isn't what you want it to be, I would encourage you, the first place to start is to pray these five words. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach you to pray, right? That's, that, that, go home today and say, God, I don't know how to do this, but Nathan was talking about it. I, I'm scheduling a meeting with you. All right, your, your schedule's open, great. Lord, teach me to pray. I want to know you better. 
I want to understand you better. I want to be devoted to this. I'm not yet, but I want to be. So Lord, teach me to pray. And I, I promise you God will answer. And I'll say this as we end on this little topic here. The only way to get prayer wrong is not to pray. Right? The only way to get it wrong is not to pray. Right? There's, some, there's some people in this church who are expert, expert prayers, right? Then you go to their house and like, man, like, they make me look bad in prayer. Like, they're just so eloquent with their words. And there's some people who aren't as good, but the only way to get it wrong is not to pray. So let's go back to Paul's words. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. And then he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And as you're praying, being watchful and thankful. So we got, we got to talk about this. So as we're praying, another way to live on mission as we're praying is to be watchful. I, I don't know if there's any hunters out there. I don't hunt. I have way too much ADD to hunt. I would be kicked out of anybody. If I ever went hunting with you, you would kick me out in a heartbeat. But as you're, as you're hunting, uh, I understand as you're in the, you know, the deer stand or in the blind, you're, you're watching, right? You're watching for that animal to come across. And if it's a good enough one, if it's big enough one, I don't know if the turkey looks just juicy enough. I don't know, right? It comes out. It's gobbling. The deer comes out. As you're waiting and you're watching, and you're waiting and you're watching, so when it comes out, when, when the animal walks by, flies by, whatever animal you're hunting, as it comes by, you're ready. Paul says, as you're praying, have open eyes. So many times we pray for thank God to do things in our life, and he gives us an answer, but we're just not watching, we're not waiting, right? He's like, be watchful. Be, be open to the opportunities that God is putting in front of you. Be looking for the answers to the prayers that you may have. Be watchful as you pray. So that's one aspect of what he's saying when he says be watchful. But he's also saying something else. And we've got to look at it in context of this church who was struggling with their faith. He says be watchful of spiritual sleepiness. That's kind of weird. Be watchful of spiritual sleepiness. What in the world does that mean? Be watchful of spiritual sleepiness. Anybody ever, let's just say this. Has anybody ever been praying at night? And as you're praying right before bed, you fall asleep? Anybody? Come on now. Raise your hand. All right. Some of you, right? So there's a little bit of that. But that's the imagery here. What can happen in our faith as we're living on mission you're leaving every single day, right? You go to the same job, you drive the same roads, you have the same schedule, and you're living life. And you're living in such a routine, and you're spending time doing things, and all of a sudden you're such a routine that you start to get a little drowsy in your life spiritually. And all of a sudden you kind of let your guard down, and you're consuming Netflix, and you're consuming the news, and consuming culture. You're being taught certain things, and politicians are saying certain things. And, and you're not really paying attention. You're not really awake. You're just kind of living life. And all of a sudden you're spiritually sleepy. And you look more like the world than you do Jesus. And, and your faith is struggling. And, and you're not praying. And you're consuming things you shouldn't consume. You're spiritually sleepy. And Paul's like, listen, you got to be on edge. You have to be careful to not fall asleep because you have an enemy who hates you. You have an enemy who hates you. Matter of fact, one of the disciples named Peter, he said, be alert and sober-minded. If you're going to be sober-minded, you can't be sleepy. You got to be alert, watchful, watching for what? Your enemy, the devil, who what? Prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
And Paul's like, you got to be watchful because you have an enemy who hates you. And when you're spiritually asleep, he wants nothing more than destroy your life. Here's what the enemy wants. At the end of your life, when, when you're, you know, you're, you're face-to-face with Jesus, face-to-face with God, you, he doesn't want you to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. He wants you to hear words like this. Well, you knew the message. You knew what Jesus had done. But you never really engaged. You became too much like the world. You got too consumed with sin. You weren't watchful. You have an enemy who hates you. So be watchful. And the imagery here is this imagery of, uh, uh, in the olden days, when they would have cities or castles. They would have these walls around the castle or, or walls around the city. And, and, and you can look at the history books. They would have these towers. And in these towers, there would be watchmen. What would these watchmen do? They'd be watching for a couple things. They'd be watching for the enemy, like to see who's going to attack. And they could see for miles and miles. But at the same time, the watchmen would be looking for their allies to come in. Kings that you have you know, a treaty with. Kings who are bringing you gifts. So you're being watchful. So when we read these words, being watchful, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, when you pray, you need to be watching spiritually for the enemy, but also for the blessing from God. So when you pray, pray with open eyes. Pray being watchful. And then he says, be thankful. And then what he's saying is be thankful in all circumstances. And this one's tough. Maybe you came here today and you're not, let's be real, you're not thankful. Life is tough. Life is difficult. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe something's going on in your life and you're like, I, I don't want to be thankful. I, it's, just, it's just too difficult. I, I can't be thankful for what's going on. Well, and then you think about the context of who's writing this letter. Paul sitting in a jail cell uh, for sharing his faith, sitting in house arrest. He's in prison. He's been beaten for his faith. He's going to eventually die for his faith. And here he is. And Paul often writes, be thankful. His, the letter that has the most joy in it, Philippians, is the letter where he's sitting in jail, right? The, the joyful letter. Be thankful in all circumstances. And that's hard and it's difficult. And there's times with me in my life I struggle with this, but there's a verse I come back to, and it's also written by Paul, uh, evidently, um, I mean, ironically. And here's what it says, Romans 8, 28. He goes, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works together for the good of those who love him, right? All things. This, this phrase right here, all things, is really important. If you've got a Bible, you follow along, you can highlight, circle that. It does not say all things are good, does it? It says that God works together all things basically for his good. For the good. God works all things. And the situation you're in may not be good. The season of your life may not be good. But even in the midst of all the, the non-good that's happening, God can work out good. But think about Paul's life, and he ultimately dies for his faith. The man who write, write, wrote these words, wrote this letter, he dies for his faith. And the good that God brought is thousands of years later, we're still reading these letters. Someone wants to kind of explain this to me, the analogy of baking cookies. If you ever bake cookies, you know, at the end of the cookie, the chocolate chip cookies, you got the, the gooey goodness, soft goodness. But to make a cookie, I've actually never made a cookie from scratch, but you got to have some flour, right? You got to have some eggs. You got to have some, 
I think there's salt in it or sugar and there's butter and there's a lot of ingredients by themselves that aren't very good. If I just went, if I just started eating a stick of butter, it's not very good, is it, right? Chewing down on that. Flour by itself, never tasted it by itself, but I don't think it's very good. Raw eggs definitely aren't very good. But all the, a lot of those ingredients individually aren't good. But what happens when you put them together? I don't know how it works, but you mix them together and put them in the oven, all of a sudden they come out and they taste great, don't they, right? And for some of us right now in your life, maybe you're just on the stick of butter. Maybe you're on the eggs. Maybe you're on the flour and it's not good. We just got to remember these words that God's working in this world. And because of Jesus... Ultimately, it will work out for God's good. Maybe not on this side of eternity, but God is working all things out for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we've got to be watchful. We've got to devote ourselves to prayer. Be watchful and be thankful. And the second way to live on mission is real simple. He says, pray for others. And Paul says, as you're praying, as you're already doing this, pray for us too. That God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may claim it clearly as I should. So Paul says, hey, pray for me. But notice what he, what he doesn't pray. He doesn't say, pray, hey, pray that I get out of jail. Pray that my circumstances get better. Pray that I can just kind of, something happens and I can always be free. He's like, no, 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 Listen. I know I'm in jail, I know I'm in prison, I know I'm in chains, but as you're praying for me, pray that God opens the door so I can preach the gospel. Pray that I can explain clearly the mystery of Christ and what God has done through Christ. Pray that I have the opportunity to share the gospel with people in front of me. Pray that I I have the opportunity to preach the gospel, that God may open the door for our message. And what we see here is that we need to pray for others as they live life on mission. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray that our faith stays strengthened. We need to pray that we are sharing our faith. We need to pray that we have the courage to share our faith. We need to pray that we stay strong in our faith. We need to pray for others as they live life on mission. And then we get to the final aspect of what Paul says to live life on mission or how to live life on mission. And he says this, make the most of how you walk and how you talk. Both of them. How you walk and how you talk. I believe his words, it says, make the most of every opportunity. And what that word, that phrase is, it's an accounting phrase. It, it's, it's, it would be essentially, watch how you spend your money and spend it wisely. Here's what he's saying. He's like, time is much more valuable than money Make sure you're investing your time in how you're living wisely. Make the most of how you walk and how you talk. There's this poem I want to read to you that I found this week, and it says this. It says, you, you are writing a gospel chapter each day. You may have heard this poem. By the, by the deeds you do, by the words that you say, men read what you write, whether faithless faithless or true, say, what is the gospel according to you? And I love that because it says you're you're preaching some type of gospel. You're preaching some type of message by the way you work, by the way you talk, by the way you walk, by the way you act. And the question is, what is the gospel according to you? 
And Paul is making it very, very clear. He's like, do not believe the lies that it doesn't matter how you live. Followers of Jesus live in certain ways. There are certain characteristics that we have as we are disciples of Jesus. And Paul says, you are going to live a certain way. And he uses the word walk. He says, you're going to walk a certain way. You're, you're going to walk. I mean, you're going to live life in a certain way. So you need to pay attention how you walk at work, how you walk in your relationships, how you walk in home, how you walk on social media, how you walk when you're talking to people at the restaurant, how you walk when you're gossiping, how you walk when you're judging, when, how you walk when you're, you're hating. He's like, you're going to pay attention to how you walk. And what he's really saying is that God is calling us, he's calling you to be different. He's calling you to be different, that you're different in how you parent, you're different in your marriages, you're different at the ball games. you're different with your kids, you're different at work. You live differently. You don't live normally. And listen, I don't know if you looked around and seen normal lately. Normal's weird, right? It's weird. Some normal, some normal things are weird. I don't want to be normal. And God has called us to be different. He's called us to live in this world to be, di be different. So here's usually what happens. There's two things that Christians do, and it's a, great, it's a great mistake. One, they totally withdraw. They hear these words and they withdraw. And they say, I don't like culture. I have nothing to do with culture. I'm not going to try to redeem culture at all. I'm going to reject it. I don't want anything to do with it. So all of a sudden, they start becoming insular and they start living in Christian bubbles. And they don't know any non-Christians. They become so withdrawn from the world, right? And if you look at Jesus, that's not how Jesus lived at all. Jesus often went and ate with sinners and tax collectors and talked to prostitutes and healed the, you know, talked to the woman who was caught in adultery. He didn't withdraw from them. You can't withdraw and still reach them. He didn't do that. He preached the gospel. He preached love. He preached re repentance. He preached turn from your sin, but he didn't withdraw. The other mistake that I see much more often is they say, well, I need to go into the world. And all of a sudden, we say, I'm going to redeem things. I'm going to redeem TV. I'm going to redeem whatever it is. And all of a sudden, you say that, but then you look at your life and there's no difference. You look like everybody else. You talk like everybody else. You become so consumed in culture that when they look at you, you can't really tell you follow Jesus at all, both of which are a massive mistake. So the right way to do it is this. Get involved in the world, but walk, in a wisely, walk wisely pointing others to Jesus with how you walk. I say it this way. It's living everyday life with gospel intentionality. That you realize that everything we do can be used to redeem society. Everything we do can preach the gospel. And so I'm going to have a list on the next slide, and it's going to say, how do we live life with everyday you know, gospel intentionality? How many of you eat? Just raise your hand. Eat. How many of you eat? Go eat with people who don't know Christ. Eat. Have meetings. People love to eat, right? Especially if you cook it or you buy it, people will meet with you, right? People love to eat. Listen. Listen. Right? Listen. That one's hard because we don't like to listen. We like to talk. Listen. Listen to what God is saying to you. Listen to how other people talk. And when you listen and listen to what's going on in their life, listen to their story, I guarantee openings to preach the gospel will come, right? Story. What's that mean? Story. Everybody has a story. God has a story, so you tell God's story. You tell your story. You listen to other people's story. Bless. Bless people. Be a blessing to those around you. When people describe you, they should say, hey, he's a blessing, especially those they don't like. 
that you don't like. Bless them. Celebrate. How many like to celebrate? You got birthday parties, right? Some families throw birthday parties for their cousins, their kids, their cats, their dogs, their goose in the backyard, right? Everybody, like, celebrate, right? Celebrate holidays, like, living life, birthday parties, Christmas. Use, celebrate with people. Celebrate with people who aren't Christians, right? And then redeem. Understand that you have a redeeming message, and we can redeem, receive, or reject, but we can redeem what's going on in this world by living with gospel intentionality. And this is just a small list of start to do it, right? And so what Paul is saying is like, as you're walking wisely, live in such a way that would demand a Jesus explanation. Live in such a way where you live differently, where people look at you like, man, I don't know what is up with him or her, it's borderline weird, but I want to be like that. And when I look at my marriage five years from now, I want to be like them. The relationship they have with their kids, man, I want that. The way they treat people they don't even like, I wish I could do that. The way they don't, they, they don't hold on to hate, I want to do that. Walk in such a way that would demand a Jesus explanation. And then the final thing he says is, your talk matters. Just let your conversations be full of grace. Man, what if we just did that? Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Somewhere along the line, there, be, there became this, this false mythology that you, you only have to share the gospel of how you walk. That's not biblical, and it's not, it's not in the gospels. You don't see that. At some point in your journey as you're sharing the gospel and you're living life on mission, words need to be involved. There be, needs to be a proclamation to proclaim that Jesus is the only way. You need to preach the gospel. You need to teach the gospel. So he's talking about that, but he's also saying as your conversations with non-believers in, in, in the modern day, as you're on social media, interacting with non-believers who you can't see, Make sure your talk is full of grace. Even with those that you don't like, even with the political party you can't stand, when people leave talking with you and having conversations with you, it should be they were seasoned with salt. Salt brings flavor. Salt preserves. They, our conversations should be seasoned with salt. So we, we are ready and know how to answer everyone. The way we talk matters. Paul is saying, use your words wisely. And throughout the scriptures, you can see our words matter. So what he's saying here is your walk matters and how you talk matters and make the most of every opportunity as you're walking and talking in this everyday life. Live life on mission, praying, praying for others, and living and talking wisely. So we'll end the series like this. Paul reminds us that Jesus is supreme over all. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, the first thing we would do, Paul would say, is don't wait another second to put your faith in the supreme Savior. Be baptized, repent, be baptized, and confess your faith in Jesus. For the rest of us, you say, live life on mission. Make sure what's going on in here matches what's going on out here, and make sure you live wisely, making the opportunity, making the best of every opportunity. Share the gospel with the way we walk, with how we talk. And Paul goes on to list a bunch of names of people who do that. And Paul leaves this letter that way because he knows that's the most important things we can do. Put our faith in Jesus, live and talk wisely. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are. 
We're so thankful for the opportunities that you give us to share your message, to share the gospel. Father, I pray that we become a church who walks wisely and walks and talks wisely, and that we make the most of every opportunity that you place in front of us. So, Father, I pray we leave being watchful, being thankful. Father, most of all, we leave with our hearts pointed in the direction of your love and pointed to you and devoted to you. God, we're going to stand and we're going to continue to worship. In a few moments, we're going to take communion. God, and I pray for the rest of this service that we continue to just devote ourselves to you. So your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.